This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Warthog Manly Command Center inside the Mellon Law Studio. Inside the Piney Woods of North Central Florida, which was really blasted yesterday evening by... Well, I'm, the only thing I can compare it to is hurricane winds. I mean, we really had uh, some powerful rain horizontal to the ground, or parallel to the ground, however you want to say it. <clears throat> and, um, you know, it's, it's pretty heavy duty and it's supposed to come back in this afternoon. Now, yesterday we experienced some difficulties technical because of storms. And should we do it today, just hang with us. We know how to correct it. We'll get it back up and running. Uh, but um, we are... Uh, Living on the edge here in terms of water, 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 water. Now, like I say, um, you know, they keep asking for the naked rain dance. Don't, don't be asking me for things you don't want. So um, I don't know. We're not out of the uh, rainy cloud season here yet, but uh, retention ponds are overflowing. There's flooding on the roads. Obviously, the river's going to rise. So um, you'll find out how effective your neighborhood drainage is uh, real soon. And, of course, you'll see the results of... Um, road neglect all over this place by the county and the city that don't care about roads. Actually, the story is that they really would just soon they crumble. That way we wouldn't have cars. And I guess they think that uh, that would prevent people from coming to Florida. Um, but uh, the irony is that the progressive people here are against the cars and roads, and yet the progressive people elsewhere are driving the people to Florida. So, um, you know, there, there it is. I mean, that's kind of a paradox, is it not? Um, Got an interesting title for the show today, um, the Roy Rogers Ribeye, which uh, later on the show should be explained in the story I'll tell. But right now, I'll hold that back as a kind of um, dramatic surprise, perhaps. Anyway, it's no, uh, I always like to have fun naming the shows. Uh, locally, news is really kind of interesting. Uh, <clears throat> I think the most interesting thing that's going to happen, and we told you it was going to happen a while back. I, I haven't looked at the show record here, uh, our diary of shows, to see when I said it. But a while back, at least a week, I said that you know, you are going to get to hear County Commissioner Ken Cornell deposed under oath. Uh, he is the Balsart Real, uh, Realty's chief financial officer. So, uh, you know, here's the thing about the dude. I've watched him go to the microphone and speak at the school board um, when he tried to encourage them to keep uh, uh, Carly Simon. And he was so absolutely um, off the wall and um, arrogant and morally superior and cocksure of himself and um, absolutely dead wrong. And, and so I have no reason to believe it'll be any different when he tests. That's who he is. I mean, that's basically who he is. And so, um, at least publicly. Um, privately, I have a nice relationship with Ken, like him, but, you know, publicly, we're in a different world here with him. And we'll find out under oath, you know, what's going to, uh, who's bore at the cabbage here and 
We'll also uh, get into some other people who will be deposed. Now, the word I'm getting um, inside information is that um, uh, this whole thing has uh, got uh, uh, like a, a wet firecracker. There's not going to be much uh, real criminal deal here. Uh, I've already told you that, according to my understanding, FREC, Florida Real Estate uh, Commission, uh, <clears throat> uh, kicked the thing out, Freck kicked it out, said, you know, and they keep harping on the fact that um, um, Rotos and Riles tried to uh, betray the county by inflating the price that the county school board was going to have to pay for the land. That's crap. You know, it's uh, whatever the buyer is willing to pay. You know, transaction brokers, I mean, they didn't represent the buyer and they didn't represent the seller. And the seller, I'm going to tell you right now, is not, you know, this is not his first rodeo. He understands the land values. He understands uh, uh, what's going on in Florida real estate. Um, and, and, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't care who he sells it to. He'll get his asking price. And if he didn't sell it to the county, he'd sell it to somebody else. And a matter of fact, right now, the county, if they don't like it, they keep griping, just turn around and sell it. And uh, um, Collier's is offered not even take a commission. And we don't just get it out of our hair. That's your complaint. But you see, this is a political deal. And uh, this is what's really corrupting everything going on, really, so many places in our country, in our county, in our city. It's all political deal. And uh, it's being spearheaded by the blacks on the uh, uh, school board who are griping about, you know, you know, where the schools go and griping about, you know, what schools don't do well when that's their fault. Uh, they don't prepare their kids to go to school. I mean, that's not me. That's just demonstrable very easily. Very easy to document. Everybody knows that. But them, I guess, they won't admit it. And, you know, the teacher, the black teachers know it. Um, you know, everybody knows it. And, uh, you know, quit blaming everybody else but yourself, your culture. So you don't read to the kids. You know, you don't, you don't teach them. You don't, you don't teach them to respect the institutions and the language. You teach them to go out in the world with a chip on their shoulder. Um, you know, that's, that's, old, you know, that's not going to get anybody anywhere. And so... Um, you know, we'll continue to hear this crap until, you know, and of course, Cornell is ultimately playing, playing I would suspect, uh, and this is my opinion, ultimately always is a playing for votes. You know, a guy wants, to, I'm sure, wants to be like uh, his mentor, uh, uh, Mike Byerly. He wants to, uh, even Weathervane Lee, I mean, be on there for 16 years. Or so. I mean, it's a gravy train. I mean, crying out loud. You're paid $85,000 a year with all these perks and everything else. You don't, you don't, it's not even a full-time job. And uh, you can go around and act like a big shot and make a fortune. And, you know, who would want to kick that uh, cow out of the barn? That ain't going to get you anywhere. So, you know, everything these guys do, and he sees a politician. So every, I guarantee you everything he does plays the votes. And, and, and um, ultimately for him and, 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 um, We'll just see how it turns out. I'm, you know, I will be watching and we'll be keeping you informed on this uh, as to how um, uh, uh, and he says he's going to set the record straight. Well, he hasn't set any record straight so far that I know. In fact, every record that I know that he's commented on, he's made crooked. And by that, I mean, he's had it all screwed up and hadn't, you know, it hadn't been halfway near the situation. Tried to kick me off the rule concerns committee uh, just on some knee jerk reaction because he had a vendetta against me because of, I tease him on the radio, uh, you know, come on, man, grow up. And so, um, 
Uh, this is what you're going to be dealing with with him. Uh, the circuit court judge, Donna Kime, rejected, and I happened to watch all this on a Zoom link, uh, the boss art attorney, when he tried to delay these depositions. They've been trying to delay these depositions because they don't want these people under oath. They don't want these people cross-examined. Um, they don't want them to have to be held accountable for what they, you know, they did uh, in words and language that's going to be put in print for everybody to see. So, um, you know, she said, no, we're not, we're not going to delay this thing. You, you need to get on with this and you need to, uh, uh, you know, these people need to, they're, they, Collier's, you know, is owed justice. Uh, they don't need a delay. This old saying in law, uh, you know, justice denied, uh, justice delayed is justice denied. Uh, so Cornell was originally set for a deposition. We knew this. Clear back on November 11th. Well, guess what November 11th is? Uh, it's Armistice Day or Veterans Day, whatever it's become now. And, and uh, so he bowed out of that thing because he, he, his, his lawyer advised him to say, oh, my God, you've got a county commission obligation. We can't ask you to give that up. All you've got to do is go run his yak uh, to come down here and testify in something that's costing. Uh, think about this. Now, just think about this for a moment. He's going to go down, Cornell is going to go down on November 11th and make a speech for which he's going to be paid. You say, well, how's he going to be paid? Well, he's being paid as a county commissioner, 85 grand or so a year. All right. So he's going to be paid. So that by not going down having the liar cover for him and having him go down there and make the talk, uh, he delays the uh, court proceeding and costs uh, Drotos and Riles more money. So he's, this is the type of people you deal with. So he's costing them money while he's making money. Now, you know, probably I'm the only guy in America that would say this. And certainly the only guy in this community that would say it. You know, I mean, that's, that's the way it is. I mean, those are the facts. The guy's making 85 grand as a commissioner. I may be off a few dollars. Don't be, you know, upset if I am. But, uh, you know, he's costing the delays or costing uh, attorney money. So, I mean, I, that's just... You know, that's that's not a leader, you know, come on. And and um, so so, you know, we've got business and public service all mixed up here. And it's going to be interesting how this untangles and what comes out. Uh, if you're really deft and you really know what you're doing, I, I, I love to cross examine. Man, you know, one time I was, I was involved in, 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 a, in a trial at the college over the rehiring or, or firing uh, either one of was going to be of one of our uh, professors. And I was the guy who ran the, the, the uh, court, the, the, the college court that, that uh, looked into this matter. And um, during a break, I, I met one of the attorneys by accident. We were in the uh, men's room together and he had listened to me cross-examine um, the guys that were witnesses. And he said to me, uh, man, you sure missed your calling. And my calling was to be, I guess, a liar. Um, you know, I, 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 I loved, I loved to tangle with you, man. You know, just let me ask you a couple of questions here. And um, you know, so if you're really good at cross examination, you can put people uh, in a corner. Now, the only way you can get out of a cross examination and answering honestly is to have a memory failure. Um, and that I'm going to count how many times um, there are memory failures when. Uh, where you get real close to to something that's, uh, you know, because time has gone by, you see. Um, the gentleman should have been deposed on November 11th 
Well, now we're going to, you know, get him disposed uh, on down the line, maybe into April. I haven't looked at the exact dates, but, you know, time has passed, right? And what happens when time uh, passes? You have more and more opportunity for plausible denial, what's called in the liar terminology, plausible. In other words, that he denies it is credible. So if you ask him a question and he's on the hot seat and I was his liar, I would say, I'd lean over his ear and say, Commissioner Cormel, you just don't remember, do you? And of course you don't remember. So, um, and there nobody can ever question your memory. And I don't know what all is going to develop, but I, I know all these strategies. I understand this game inside out. It, it's not a very complicated game. It's very one dimensional. Um, you know, it's basically uh, um, knowing the language and understanding how to use it and, uh, and uh, apply it appropriately. So um, we'll see how that goes. There's some others in there. Uh, uh, Autumn Doughton, who uh, is um, the daughter of the Doughton, uh, who used to own the Gainesville Sunset, or published to be the publisher of the Gainesville Sunset. That's going to be uh, interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure that um, her squirmability will be a higher ratio of squirmability than Cornell. Cornell might be a cold calculating cookie in there if he's any good um, and play poker face. But, you know, maybe some of them won't be. So um, there's a lot of uh, jockeying, as we say, and positioning. And, um, but you're, you're, and, and of course, none other than the school board and, and certain of those crowd, that crowd has to run their mouth and get involved. Uh, they, don't under, they don't understand a thing about a transition broker and what it means and um, there's some hitch in the giddy up there as to why they keep playing that, that song. Um, I mean, that's just stupid. If you don't like the bill, sell the property. It's very simple and make money off of it. I don't, I'm just talking here, but I, they probably make a million bucks off the sale of that property based upon what he sold. It. I mean, they bought it. The guy who's owned it, he made money because I think he bought it for around a 1.8 million. Okay. From some old farm people, as I understand it, if I remember. Because what we're doing with our farmland is changing it into, you know, real estate uh, rather than farmland. It's called real estate. I mean, your, your state is made up of real property. So uh, 1.8, then he knows that in that location, uh, the, value, the value of that. Furthermore, he goes out and gets uh, a certain work done on it that allows that property to be developed as a, 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 as a home site. With, with lots, and you know how that goes. That raises the value of the property. Uh, so the school board buys that with, the, with those. They could turn around and develop it if they wanted to. Ye gods, I mean, come on. Uh, what are you griping about? Um, you know, although probably the school board as a public entity is not in the case of uh, land speculation, uh, ethically, I suppose. Uh, so, so, you know, sell it. Dump it if you don't like it. And if you if you you know if you're gonna if it's really a cover for the race card, I mean that's even worse. Which I suspect that's what it is. I suspect it's basically a cover for the race card uh, because um, the whole movement in this county is away from the east side of the county, and the schools there are left to be quote unquote underperforming. Uh, the price of diesel keep going up like it is right now. Uh, you're going to see a limit on busing. Uh, you're going to see a limit on toting some kid around to raise the literacy scores of a school. You just have to go to hunker down 
and put the school in the neighborhood and the neighborhood is going to have to send their kids there and the teachers are going to have to have the rapport with the mama and the daddy or the whatever it is nowadays and tell them, listen, don't send that kid to school here unprepared. I mean, that's the way it should work. That was the, that was the original idea of it all is that you would do it that way. But, you know, once we fractured it, the federal government thought they knew better because of some formula uh, of color, color coded formula. We screwed up the entire system and it's never been any good since. And so here, you know, the, the hapless souls in, in the education world are, are caught up in this. I mean, take a look at this juggling of the school board, for example, trying to find uh, somebody who is got at arm's length on, uh, you know, the race card uh, infecting uh, the school board. And they got a guy now who, from what I can find out, uh, is, you know, knows his way around the block. He's in the construction end of the school business right now. He should know something about land value and all that. And he should know a lot about property rights and real estate transactions and won't be a dupe up there. I can guarantee you that McNeely didn't know up from down about it. Barely knows how to get out of her living room. And, 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 you know, this guy probably, you know, well, any degree of sophistication would be uh, 10 times better than hers. So uh, we've got a guy who may actually have the ability to discern the nuances of transactions and business and building facilities. Now, um, you know, but he's just an interim also. But that's what I've been able to find out in the time that he was uh, uh, pushed into this office. I think probably... Uh, the uh, uh, Main Street uh, covered it best uh, of all the things I've been reading about it in the last. Let me see if I got that around here. Uh, the main, there is a, something called Main Street USA, which is a publication here uh, that, uh, uh, yeah, here it is. Uh, it's written by Seth Johnson. And uh, uh, I thought this was probably about the clearest I'd read about it. Um, he... Um, uh, he was nominated to be acting superintendent. Well, Jones wisely, this is interesting, didn't want it. And, uh, you know, she's probably too nice a lady to want it. I mean, if you're a nice lady and you're a nice person, why would you put in a, get in the crossfires of this, this hate fight that's going on now, uh, primarily built around the race car? Um, you know, it's hateful. Uh, the meetings are hateful. Uh, the people are mean. Um, uh, and they... Um, so why would you why would you want to get involved with that? And and so this guy, uh, um, you know, she withdrew her name and thank goodness. Uh, and Greyhound, it, it just speaks volumes about, I suppose, her character. I don't want to be involved with these people. I don't want to be wrapped up in this crap and listen to this endless droning about mindless issues that don't need that kind of complicated analysis. Um, so, you know, they've put in and ironically, it's a. Uh, uh, certain who put it in. So I got no problem with that. If she made a good recommendation, people went along with it. I'll give her credit for it. Uh, I think she's kind of been totally off base, particularly calling me and Tim Martin out publicly calling me an, ed an, 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 an enemy of education. She doesn't know a thing about me. She I've never met the woman, you know, and I don't really want to, but, but I can tell you, she doesn't know a thing about me. And, and, uh, you know, and, and certainly uh, Martin is a gentleman. I mean, he's a, uh, Fine young, a fine man, you know. So, you know, you just got to watch yourself around these people. So, um, we'll see how this guy does. Um, uh, he, anything will be an improvement. And um, he's had principal experience. I think he was over at East Side 
if he could juggle that place, that's, that speaks well of him. So he's probably got some networking going on. And maybe for a while, things will be uh, sort of passive and, and um, somewhat uh, 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 um, civil, if you will. But, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, uh, it is what it is. It's um, a, a creation of the anger of the race car. And that's what I think it's all about. And, you know, they'll go out and gripe now because they monitor the show. They listen to the show and they, they lurk and they wait. And, you know, they want to hear the, oh, here's a race. Racing, racist ain't got nothing to do with it. Educating the children, giving them a fighting chance is what it's about. And it all starts in their own culture, in their own homes. Okay, read your kids and uh, get them prepared to go to school and respect the teacher. You know, teachers are like cops right now. They don't want to do the job. I mean, come on, you're going to defund the cops and besmirch the teachers? Um, yeah, you know, and this is done by people who are not cops and not teachers. So it's, it's crazy. But, you know, there it is. I got a report on it because it is. Spring Arts Festival is an interesting story. I want to talk to you a little bit about the Spring Arts Festival. <clears throat> If you'll notice the Spring Arts Festival, if you're an attendee and aficionado of it, has taken place in the past up until COVID uh, downtown there on, on the, uh, uh, in, in Gainesville. It's really not the Gainesville Spring Arts Festival. It is Santa Fe Spring Arts Festival. We started the Spring Arts Festival. Me and two or three other teachers, we started the Spring Arts Festival. The Spring Arts Festival was started and uh, to coincide with the writers conference at the University of Florida. And uh, we decided about four or five of us um, at Santa Fe and the university working together, uh, that it'd be great to have uh, a lot of artists in town at the same time. And our reasoning was we, we would all party together. And, and that's really where all the exchange of ideas and networking comes from is at the parties that I'm talking about some of the best parties you ever, you've got, first of all, highly intelligent people. You've got highly creative people. Uh, and it's not stiff. Everybody's uh, pulled his necktie off, if you will, and taken off his top coat and has had a belt or two. And the conversations were some of the most stimulating I ever remember being around. And from which I learned all sorts of things. Um, some of my favorite people, Lenny Kessel, who's passed and I tremendously admired and liked um, was what always attend the parties. So uh, we, we, Eleanor Blair got a start there. So, so we, we, uh, we decided, we, we, we tried to have a spring art. We had it on the lawn of what was called then the East Campus, which was the Hotel Thomas, which has now been turned into city offices. And we had it out on the lawn. I've got a picture hanging uh, in, my, in the, the compound here now that I purchased by a student artist at the Spring Arts Festival. And it was probably circa 69, the very first one. I think the very first one was in 1969. Um, and I'm proud to be associated with the beginning of that. So my concern about um, this now being held at Thornbrook, and I, I appreciate the people at Thornbrook uh, for picking up the, the slack and, and continuing this arts festival. And as from what I can understand, my concern is that as, and I, I, I was at a function last night where the very same thing came up. Um, guys my age, guys who've been around here have an enormous amount of institutional memory. We have a you know, we just know it. We lived it. We've been here. We know the stories. We know. Uh, I was telling some stories last night that people didn't know anybody was around and they'd never heard them before. 
And it was just commonplace to me. I mean, it was just the way it was. I mean, you talk about all the people whom I have known personally, Tom Petty, uh, Dr. Cade, uh, um, you know, all these people. Um, I, I, I was, I, you know, friends with them. I mean, you know, Tom Petty was my student. Dr. Cade was a buddy of mine. So, and I knew him before the Gatorade. So, um, you know, if you don't get guys like us and talk to us and debrief us, so to speak, it's all going to be gone. So I'm going to tell you that that's what concerns me about Santa Fe College. Who is at the college still who understands the significance of the history of the Spring Arts Festival and how we started it? Nobody's come and asked me. There's a couple of other professors whom I know who know how this started. We need to be debriefed, and that needs to be done by the Santa Fe College, okay? It hasn't been done. Nobody has asked us anything. And what can happen is this tremendous artistic festival that comes to this town in the spring, and one of the things that hurt it was Jimmy Salter moving his law practice out of the big antique house downtown over to uh, near Thornbrook, and, and Jimmy's a great guy. Uh, James Salter. Uh, he used to have fantastic parties there uh, for the artists as they and, and attendees that came up and down the boulevard there. So my, my pitch here is uh, Thorn the headline in the Gainesville Sunset, as I understand it, was Thornbrook Village to host inaugural Spring Arts Festival. It is not the inaugural Spring Arts Festival. Uh, the inaugural Spring Arts Festival is in 1969. What they're going to host is the Spring Arts Fest Festival 2022. God bless them for doing it because uh, the city dropped the ball. See, once the city took possession, here's the deal. Think back now. Santa Fe occupied the Hotel Thomas. That's where the Arts Festival started. That was Santa Fe property. Once the city took over the property, the Arts Festival was homeless. It wasn't hungry, but it was homeless. So the city, we worked a deal. We have a Spring Arts house on the boulevard. Um, uh, the city worked a deal where, okay, you'll still call it the Santa Fe Spring Arts Festival, but we'll host it on the city streets, okay? And that's the way it worked. That seems to be a pretty good uh, 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 association. Somebody has got to, and I don't know if this new president, Brody, whom I've never met, understands this or not. But one of the things I would advise he do is debrief the older people who have retired from the college and can help him understand. Jackson Sasser did that when he was the president. He called back people and said, teach me what I was not here that I could not know without you telling me. Now, those guys are all gone. So uh, uh, pretty much. So I think the new guy needs to do the same thing. He needs to call in because, uh, you know, Santa Fe College has a lot different footprint in this town than University of Florida. Uh, Santa Fe College has an international national reputation of excellence, uh, but they're not trying to be uh, something there's no reason for them to be like the University of Florida is trying to do. University of Florida, I think I've told you this, is going to uh, not have any residents on the campus anymore in very few years. They're going to turn their dorms into uh, uh, research centers and office space and all that. And all these students who now live in dorms are going to live in these high-rise dorm-looking type things that you see proliferating all around the university. 
those really are designed to be dorms. And they're designed to be dorms owned by private corporations. Then the university then will free up its dorm space, some of which has fallen down drunk. Jennings is an example. Needs, we've still got window units, uh, you know, and, rent, and get that thing started and, and work out some relationship for innovation or any of that kind of business that uh, universities say they're involved with now. But that's the word I get uh, from people who are inside the real estate world. And, and um, so that explains, does it not, quite a bit of the consternation that people have locally about why the high-rise buildings close to the university that are just built for student housing. They're built for student housing because uh, they're going to replace the dorms. Now, what's going to happen is it's going to be much more expensive to live in student housing off campus than it is on campus. And so what's going to happen is uh, economically, only the wealthy people will be able to send their kids to the University of Florida. It's already that way. If you take a look at the cars they drive and the cell phones they have and uh, all that business, the base uh, uh, necessity of the average Florida student now is so far more expensive than it was for my generation. Uh, we could come here uh, and, and live dirt cheap and go to school dirt cheap and get a great education. Uh, now you've got to come here and uh, be well uh, healed, as they say, before you come here in order to be able to afford the education. So uh, it's just some of the things you see change in uh, uh, over the 60 years that you've been around here. Um, and and, and it, you, you can put it in some sort of perspective that perhaps other people can't put it in. So the uh, inaugural spring arts festival is not really the inaugural spring arts festival. And, um, and you, you'll uh, you'll uh, appreciate that fact that uh, uh, that's the case when you uh, uh, think about some of the history of it. Uh, I'm going to take a break here. I'm going to come back in and talk a little bit about women's sports. I've been very fascinated with the success of the uh, women's basketball team here. The most successful coach by far on the University of Florida campus is uh, Holloway, who is the men and women track coach. Uh, Ten national championships, I think. Uh, coach Holloway is by far the most successful coach on this campus and has by far some of the most stellar athletes on this campus that you will ever come in contact with. I mean, these track athletes can fly. And, and, um, but the problem with track is, as Jimmy Carnes once told me when I was out there running with the Florida Track Club, um, Ward, we will never bring a crowd here until the javelin thrower actually throws it through a person and then the crowds will come. And what he's talking about is the magic that football has. Uh, it's so violent and so dangerous that people can't stop watching it. Uh, you can call it whatever you want it, but it's one of those paradoxes of human nature. Basketball. Yeah. But you can see you, it doesn't begin to draw a crowd like, you know, you put 75, 80, 90,000 people hysterically screaming uh, in a stadium, uh, you won't get that even in the final four. You won't get that. And, and, and so it's, it's still a big dog on the block is the football. But right nipping at its heels in terms of basketball uh, is uh, women's basketball. And I'm going to get into a little bit of analysis of that when we get back on the Ward Scott Files. And we thank our sponsors and uh, our donations and all the above. So take it away, production. This is Ward Scott. 
And I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are On the Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. If your brains were lard, you couldn't grease a small frying pan. <laughs> to call you stupid would be an insult to stupid people. Octone, octone. The papers are not in order. Step out of the line and report to the inspection station. You're going to search your belongings. Much now. At Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! <coughs> All right, welcome back to the Ward's God Files. I'm amusing myself watching the uh, uh, Warthog run the man up into the top of the... Uh, a uh, little structure there. It's so funny. I'm glad you all appreciate that. Well, I, I never get tired of it. It's hilarious. I don't know where we found it. And hello to everybody. I'm just checking some of the people checking on here um, that are watching. I'm hoping I'm helping you uh, stay informed here as to what's going on. Um, I just want to take a moment out here before I get into an analysis of Stacey Abrams' election. Uh, I think that's next on my little list of things to talk about. Uh, yeah, she's a scoundrel. But anyway, um, um, keep your eye. I think the Lady Gators play, play tonight at nine o'clock. They play, I, I think last time I checked, the University of Central Florida. Hello, Tim. And, and uh, that's going to be uh, ironic because the, the two teams are from Florida right down the road from each other. But in the tournament, they have to go all the way up into Yankee land to play. But um, the problem that in the past has been that there's been a significant difference. And you talk about gender equity. Here is a place where I really am uh, in favor of gender equity. I, I, I don't want the women to get um, the back seat here to uh, um, support in their athletics, because I'm going to tell you, if you, if you go to, if you go watch the ladies track and you watch him run, buddy, <clears throat> particularly pole vaulters and people like that. Amazing. But you go watch these lady basketball players and you're going to watch an exciting, exciting game. So, but here and that here, here to four, there's been an inequity between the men's and women's tournaments. And this uh, piqued my interest. I ran across this. Rachel Bachman analyzed it for me uh, and um, put it in the Wall Street Journal. So uh, I thought it was kind of interesting. I'd share with you students. Um, the two most popular uh, championships uh, in basketball are, of course, the uh, women's tournament and the men's tournament. Um, college football, they control their own playoffs. So, um, uh, But Cap a, law, a law firm named Kapler and Heckler and Fink um, did a very, very thorough analysis of, of the NCAA's treatment of the men and women's sports. 
And what they found was that there's a significant difference, uh, uh, which not NCAA is a nonprofit organization, supposedly, and it's obligated to pursue its stated values uh, with women and men in, 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 in equity and be fair and equal, but they're not. They haven't been. They've been cheating, if you will, cheating the women. And, and uh, uh, so, so now has come the time where Kaplan's report is going to put a little pressure on the NCAA to give the women a little more support. I know that in her list of requests uh, to be the head coach here, I'm told that Kelly Ray Finley has to have her assistants paid more and have her locker rooms upgraded. They were getting the, you know, the, the, the stuff that it, nobody else wanted. <clears throat> so I think she got all of that. Uh, now the NCAA tournament for women has been expanded by four teams. So it's also going to have a 68-team bracket. Uh, and it's the first time, <coughs> excuse me, it's the first time, and I didn't know this, that the, that the term March Madness, the brand, is going to be, it's always been used exclusively by the men's tournament. And the NCAA never would allow the women to use it, even though the women's tournament had the right to use it for their tournaments. Uh, the NCAA, which I rode on a plane one time years ago with John Lombardi, the president of the University of Florida then, and he said that, uh, you know, the NCAA is just a cartel. Uh, they do what they want to do. Nobody can control them. They're tyrannical. And um, here's a good example. This is what made me think about this. Um, women were entitled to use the phrase March Madness to market their brand. NCAA never would let them. Uh, so this is the first time in a 40-year history of these tournaments that the men and women tournament basketball organizations are working together. And, and that, that, it, that is worth a behind-the-scenes comment. Um, there's a lot of complicated things involved here. Uh, who, who owns standalone broadcast rights to the tournaments and how are those dispensed, uh, how are the competitive bids put out. Uh, the, uh, the thinking of the women's tournament, women's basketball tournament, it's going to be worth about $100 million in a year after the ESPN deal expires in 2024. So the value of the brand of women's basketball is going up, up, up. And um, but right now, one of the ways you can tell that the women have been getting um, the short end of the stick here is that the number of brands advertising um, now have, have only been four brands, four different brands advertising on the women's tournament up until this year. Now it's up to 15. Um, so also uh, for the first time, the women are going to be able to use the March Madness logos on their broadcasts. Now, I would never have noticed this, I'm sure, as I watched Gator Women tonight. I would never have noticed this um, until I, I got to thinking about some of the things that the latter is pointing out here. And I thought, well, by golly, that sure is the case. Um, right now, you know, I always thought that women's basketball here at Florida was the best deal on campus. You could go get a ticket for $2, $2 now and sit anywhere you wanted to. And that, you know, just first come, first serve, with the exception of some reserve seating and have great seats. And I said, boy, I said, we better keep this thing a secret because I don't know where else you can do this. You got to, you got to pay the piper and battle the football gods to, um, or use somebody's ticket who died or something to get in the good seats in the University of Florida Stadium. Um, and, you know, basketball is all screwed up. Uh, the way they chopped it up into the haves and the have-nots. So <clears throat> where you go? I mean, you know, that's uh, where do you go for entertainment? And, and uh, 
so so we got we got some new things going on with the NCAA and the women's world. And all the women say they're asking for is to treat uh, their product as uh, the value, as uh, you know what they've learned, what they've earned with their play, and what they what what they've earned with their their players. So uh, I thought that was interesting. I thought I'd pass that along to you. We hear about gender equity and all that stuff here all the time, but it really does strike a nerve with me when we get into uh, uh, women's basketball because it, it is, a, uh, is a good example. And evidently, NCAA has heard the concerns of people like me who feel like, uh, hey, listen, you know, give them up, upgrade their locker rooms too and, and you know, give them uh, – uh, coaches what they should be, particularly assistant coaches. You know, you hear a lot about um, what the head coach gets, but what do the assistant coaches get? Now, these assistant coaches in football get over a million quite frequently. That is crazy, just crazy. <clears throat> but um, that's not the case uh, with your assistant coaches in the basketball world. So um, you know, be that as it may, I just wanted to pass it along to you. Stacey Abrams, um, you know, has been getting away – uh, with stuff that uh, Trump has not been able to get away with. That's the point of the article uh, that is in the uh, New Republic. Uh, the New Republic has, uh, has and I'm going I'm to source this in case the millennials have got their ear to the algorithm right now, and I happen to stumble across the voter beep word because uh, that sets them into a tizzy, and uh, they control the narrative, and they say, well, it violates community standards. So I'm going to try to stick with this and source it because if they try to take me down for what I'm saying right now, the source is the New Republic, publication of the New Republic. And um, uh, there's, there's several false claims that Abrams has been making. Um, uh, she has been saying, and one of the number first false claim is she lost by 55,000 votes to Brian Kemp in the 2018 gubernatorial race. But she has completely, she repeatedly claimed that the election was stolen from her. Uh, in March 2019, she stated explicitly, I did win my election. I just didn't get to have the job. Now, she'd been getting away with this, okay? And she also told the audience that she would never concede to Kemp. And, um, and every, every behavior that the so-called uh, Congress is holding uh, Trump accountable for, she's guilty of. <clears throat> and nobody's holding her accountable for it. Um, uh, she, she claimed, she claimed that the group in January 2019, according to the New Republic, now I'm going to source it, New Republic, uh, millennials, if you got your ear to the algorithm, uh, um, she claims that uh, 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 the, the, the election was stolen from Georgians that the Georgia people, the voters, <clears throat> wanted her to be the governor. And, 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 and three years later, according to New Republic, on October 21st, uh, October 2021, uh, in a campaign stop, she says, uh, uh, I ain't backing down from that. I mean, I, 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 it was stolen from me. <clears throat> so uh, uh, the... Uh, uh, she has a non-concession speech. Uh, she asserts that tens of thousands of voters hung in limbo, uh, that the system was a system of suppression. She played the race card, you know, and so her, her thesis is that the system was just et up uh, with racial suppression. And since she was black, uh, it actually was applied to her 
and she really is the governor. Um, she said that uh, <clears throat> uh, all this business of showing state IDs and all this kind of stuff is voter. You know, you heard you heard a song and dance is all voter suppression. Um, she claims that a million citizens found their names stripped from the uh, voter rolls. Uh, yet there were many lawsuits that failed to uh, find this. And uh, 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 even an Obama appointed judge ruled that the uh, voter purge deal uh, argument that she put up was uh, had no merit. Um, she had an organization called Fair Fight Action and uh, it claimed that voting machines erased votes for her. And uh, she and courts have ruled against her on that, too. Now, so she's she's the curious thing about this. And I have some friends that are watching from Atlanta right now. Um, um, they, they and they've been you know, asking me to talk about this for quite some time. But I just haven't found credible document. I guess can't talk about it without some documentation that if uh, two hours after the show, the millennials object to some of the buzzwords in here. We can say, hey, listen, these are these words coming out of a national conversation. But that doesn't really always stop, you know, uh, the millennial censors. They don't really care about that quite often. Um, so um, also, she, they're, they're, they're very sure that she knows uh, uh, that her claims are false. Um, she knows the difference between uh, voter purges and voter roll maintenance. She See, she is trying to say, and you're going to hear this again. This is the reason I'm kind of putting this in the conversation. She knows that there's a difference between voter roll maintenance and voter purges. And you're going to probably hear this come up. It'll probably be the race card um, in, 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 in election rules that um, DeSantis has just got on his desk. This election uh, committee, crime committee. Um, requires these supervisors of elections to get off their duff and to examine these roles and purge them every year and keep them up to date. I mean, I, I've come to believe that a lot of these supervisors are just lazy and, and um, either that or they're poorly trained or they're incompetent or they don't give a damn or they've got a political ideology that is corrupting their behavior uh, or any of the above or all the above. I don't know, but it's, it seems like that profession, that office, that institution. Now, I think, for example, by comparison, the tax collector is a much better run organization here locally. I mean, it's really a tight ship. I don't hear any complaints about that. And I know the, the, those people too, but I hear a lot of complaints about the uh, election process. And what she's claiming here, she knows is false. She knows that there's a difference between purges and maintenance. Um, but she's been repeating uh, the, the, the lie that Trump is being held accountable for. She claims that uh, 1.4 million voters were purged from the rolls in Georgia uh, and, and, and that, that they hadn't been, she would have won. And yet nobody has been able to find what she's talking about. Um, she, she always has used this theme, and you, and you know, this theme is, I could almost call a show today this, of voter suppression. Um, this is, uh, uh, this is being, this song and dance is, you're going to hear it. I just want you to be well-educated about it, 
And what it really means is uh, it's not voter suppression, it's voter accountability. So if you will take every time you hear voter suppression and, and instead of that, call it voter accountability. And every time you hear uh, a purging of voter rolls, you just say voter roll maintenance, you'll be OK. You'll be fine. Um, so uh, uh, this whole thing, of uh, 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 this fair fight, this is what I kind of I'm peaked. I haven't studied this much. But this fair fight action organization that she's got has raised more than $100 million, uh, which makes it one of the wealthiest political action committees in the country. And uh, the group spent $66 million on Democratic campaigns and issues in 2020 alone. Um, uh, and what she's always used to raise money, okay, is the theme of voter suppression. And she's used that to convince Americans that they need to donate. This is according to the New Republic now, okay, that has studied this issue for quite some time and has come up with these um, publishable public comments and stands by them. So um, the uh, irony is here, of course, I'm sure it's not lost on you, that the things that she's doing, the claims that the things that she's squealing about are the very, and then getting away with, without any uh, kinds of accountability for her behavior, the irresponsibility of her behavior, um, are the very things they're accusing Trump of. So um, there you are. Now, out in Texas, uh, you know, this is still on this theme, uh, more than 20, this is according to AP. I'm going to source this, it's the Associated Press, all right? Uh, more than 27,000 mail ballots in Texas were flagged after the new voting restrictions were put in here. Uh, and this is jeopardizing votes cast by both Democrats and Republicans in counties, both big and small. And the rejected, it, it's the, the rate of, re, this is mail ballots now. The re, you know, it's here in the city of Wallachua. We only have two ways to vote. Either you mail in the ballot or you go vote, okay? And so, each municipal government has its own election. Down in a little old rinky-dink archer, um, and I say that because I think people are so, continue to be so small-minded there. They hold their own elections. They have their own mechanism. They do their own thing on their own time when they want to do it. So um, you have to be careful when you talk about all these elections and you know which one you're speaking about and which one's getting all the ink and the attention. Uh, but in Texas, um, this is a this is the this was for the March 1st primary. Um, uh, it's the fullest picture to date of how new election rules uh, have made it harder for thousands of voters to vote uh, if they're going to have their ballots counted uh, if they don't do the mail in process properly. Um, uh, the in initial rejection rate among the male voters in Texas primary was about 17% across 120 counties. So um, the final number of discounted ballots will end up being lower, uh, uh, and, but it will exceed what it's been before because there are tighter restrictions in now on mail-in ballots. Um, but, um, and, and, and the numbers do not really yet represent how many Texas ballots were effectively thrown out because it, voters could go back and fix the rejected mail ballots 
which in most cases meant proving identification. They have to prove their identification when they mail in the ballot. And uh, identification numbers, and here's what they have to use, either a driver's license or a social security number on the ballot's carrier envelope. And that number must match the county's records. If a ballot is rejected, voters could add an ID number via an online ballot tracking system. So you're not really eliminating people. Some people don't have either. They don't have uh, a driver's license number and they don't have, oddly enough, they don't have a social security number. That's almost unimaginable, but they don't. So they do have though identification numbers. So these ID numbers can also be uh, on the uh, fixed to the ballot tracking system and that will uh, provide them an opportunity to vote. So this of course has making, been making the, the, these supervisor elections get off their duffs and they have to work harder to contact the voters in time. Uh, they have to fully educate them on how to reapply a rejected ballot and prop, properly put the right identification on it. And uh, uh, nevertheless, you know, that ballot can be still disqualified permanently because it just was bogus to begin with. So um, I would say that behind Florida, and I've heard this from several people now who just brought, brought it up at, over coffee with me, behind Florida, uh, Texas is probably the most uh, uh, like us um, uh, in terms of trying to clean up the election process. They're gonna go about, they're gonna say, they're gonna give Biden the international pilot, pilot salute and continue the border wall on their own. Thank God. Um, so um, it's, it's, um, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's something, maybe it's time it's come. I mean, we've got to do something uh, to have these new voter laws take effect and have a, a legitimate accountability. Otherwise, we're going to be a third world country. We probably have been all along, just don't, in many places, and don't know it. But um, so keep your eye on Texas. It's, um, it's, um, um, it, it's uh, trying to figure out, you know, what an accurate rejection rate is going to be before it's all over and the dust settles. Um, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll keep you in tune on what that is. I entitled today's show, and I've got a, enough time to do this, um, The Ranch House, uh, The Roy Rogers Ribeye. And I'll tell you why. This is a follow-up on the Chicago story. Remember, I, 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 I suggested to you the other day, and this came out of the Chicago Tribune, and this also comes out of the AP uh, writers in Chicago, um, that there was a black flight to the suburbs out of the city of Chicago, just as there were years ago, a white flight out of the suburbs, uh, out, of the, out of Chicago into the suburbs. Um, and this doesn't necessarily apply just to Chicago. White flight has been known for quite some time. Now we have a black flight. And the demographics of the blacks leaving are the same basically as the whites. They have families, they, have, they want good schools, they have jobs, uh, they're responsible for their behavior. <clears throat> They don't walk around with a chip on their shoulder. Um, uh, they're just trying to, you know, enjoy the benefits of the country and work harmoniously with people. And they've had it too. But the reason I call it the Roy Rogers ribeye is apparently there's been a, a place called the Ranch Steakhouse um, that has that was one of the last sit-down restaurants uh, in Black Chicago and uh, in the neighborhood of Roseland. Now we have a 
uh, a, a history here as if researched and talked about a lot called Rose Wood. Rose Land is not to be confused with Rose Wood. Rose Land is in Chicago. It's a Chicago black neighborhood. And it had a sit-down restaurant called the Ranch Steakhouse and had a favorite on there, the Roy Rogers ribeye. I, I find that so odd uh, that in a black neighborhood, in a black restaurant, uh, the favorite on there would be the Roy Rogers ribeye. I was a big Roy Rogers and Dale Evans and Trigger uh, and Lassie fan. I guess they, my tri I guess I got them right. I can't remember all. But um, this is... Uh, uh, now it's struggling to even stay open. It's, uh, you know, this, the, the increase in black residents out of, uh, of this area has threatened uh, this restaurant, which has been a longstanding kind of watering hole of the area. Um, the uh, uh, black residents are moving because, guess what? Worries about crime, desire for reputable schools, decent housing and amenities. Um, and the other thing that's interesting is leaving the black city neighborhoods, uh, there is very little reinvestment in those neighborhoods. In other words, if the black entrepreneurs and the successful blacks are not interested in staying in Roseland and investing in that community and making it more civil, if you will, uh, and they're fleeing out into other suburbs. Um, as, what's, who's going to step in and fill the void? You can ride down the street in Detroit and see these type of neighborhoods in Detroit. It just look like bombed out parts of Ukraine. Um, from 1900 to 2000, according to the AP, 13 of the United States' biggest cities lost black residents. Um, uh, by 2020, it was 23. And according to the census, roughly 54% of black residents uh, within the 100 biggest American metro areas uh, were suburb suburbites, and it was up from 43%. So uh, blacks living in suburbs is up 43%. And, and, and these are not blacks that are needing uh, housing assistance to live there. They're people who have done what everybody does, is uh, get educated, uh, work hard, uh, show up on time, be responsible contribute, network, be a team player, company, all this kind of stuff. And they just don't want to put up with it anymore. Um, so that leaves the government, does it not, to fill these big voids in these cities? I don't think the government can do it. Uh, I just don't see how it's going to do it. And, and uh, these people are not Black Lives Matter, uh, if, uh, uh, hysterical members. They're just people. So uh, the official count of Roseland uh, which measures less than one square mile, is it lost 1,600 black residents. Um, uh, the area where Obama was a community organizer is located about 20 minutes south of downtown. That area where Obama was an organizer, that's Obama, okay, where he was a community organizer, doesn't even have a grocery store. Well, you know, that's the same here in Gainesville. There are no grocery stores. In East Gainesville, the, the, the farthest east you're going to go where the grocery store is a Publix on Main Street. And it's got the last time I was in there, it had armed security guards to try to prevent theft. So um, and that's as I guarantee that's as far east as Publix is going. So uh, uh, 
in the, the ranch uh, restaurant and Roy Rogers ribeye is probably a thing of the past. Um, they're trying to keep it alive. They're trying to find somebody who can, but it's, it's not going to make it because uh, the community's not going to make it. Uh, and, you know, we know all the identifiable reasons. Uh, there's a lack of economic dollars. Um, you know, as I've said, if you go to a, a, an Asian community, uh, you'll see that And I had a student, a black student, uh, do this report for me. It was very educational. He traced him. I think I shared it with you before. I'm going to hang up here in a minute. Uh, a black a dollar in a black neighborhood goes around the neighborhood one time before it leaves. A dollar in an Asian community goes around the neighborhood five times before it leaves. Five people get to touch that bill because one does the laundry, the other does it, you know, whatever. They all have these businesses and they support each other. That doesn't happen in the black neighborhood. Have a great day. Tomorrow we'll be with Dance Alive National Ballet for our uh, monthly comments on what's been happening in the arts. A Warthog Command Center out.